At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. From the Fox News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. I'm so glad you're here on this Thursday. Big hour coming your way. The uh, Patrick Morsey will be here, the West Virginia Attorney General. That'll be great. And Mark Thiessen at the bottom of the hour. Uh, the split within the Republican Party when it comes to being tough and fighting with or, or providing the weapons for and fully supporting Ukraine seems to be dividing the Republican Party. The two heavyweights, Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis, are uh, feeling different, uh, feeling uh, like-minded. I am not. I don't agree with either one of them on this. Except for the fact that I am not secure with Joe Biden in charge of any military operation. I mean, he's the one who couldn't shoot down the balloon. He's the one that blew Afghanistan. Uh, He's the one that told uh, Zelensky, I'll give you a ride out. You're going to lose big within three days. So I get that. But overall, the operation's in America's interest. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. This hazardous episode is a part is part of a pattern of aggressive, risky, and unsafe actions by Russian pilots in international airspace. Wow, that sounds so tough. Russia takes our our fifty million dollar drone out in international waters and international skies, and guess what? Our our uh, attitude towards it is: what's the big deal? The anti-Ukraine war attitude is being fueled now in our country because of this ineptness and lack of clear response and sense of mission. Austin, Millie, Biden have one thing in common. They don't instill confidence, even if their mission is correct. Number two. Chief Ortiz, does DHS have operational control of our entire border? No, sir. Right. And with that, Raul Ortiz contradicted Mayorkas and Biden and everybody else and said the truth. The wall should have been built. It's paid for. We are undermanned, and that border is wide open. Game on. Number one. These banks are under tremendous stress right now. And if there's weaknesses of these banks, they're getting flushed out and exposed, and deposits are leaving the system very quickly, causing these banks to be imperiled, and then potentially creating the risk of the next cascading failure. Yeah, it's pretty scary, isn't it? David Sachs knows what he's talking about. I'm with Tucker last night. Can anyone figure this out? From inflation to bank failures, our economy's in peril. And this administration's incapable of getting ahead of any crisis or explaining it. And so much is at stake. Today, Janet Yellen goes in front of Congress and is going to answer some questions. You know, she might be really bright. I never feel better or having learned anything, having heard from her. Her lack of charisma is on the negative side, but her substance is key. You could get, I don't need to see a 20, uh, you know, a 5,000 watt smile. I get it. But I need to see some substance. And don't tell me you're going to back up every single account. As great as that makes me feel as an American, in someone who cares about the system, 
If you guarantee everybody all their money at all times, it's not going to stop any bank from taking all the risks that we just seen Credit Suisse take, as we just seen the Silicon Valley Bank take, as we've seen Signature Bank take, as we've seen Republican Bank. These are regional banks who, when you look at some of their moves with cryptocurrency and the startups and not taking into account inflation, I don't want to know that there's a, there's a safety net under all these banks. What's going to keep them somewhat in line? They get their bonuses, they get their sell their stock, and we all have and we're left holding the bag. So I'm I mean, we're all trying to f- figure this out. And according to Larry Fink of BlackRock, people say he's a genius. He says this is a slow rolling crisis. Carl Icahn, the system is breaking down. I don't feel good about that. Here's Josh Hawley. Cut three. Yeah, the congressional role ought to be to stop the Biden administration from bailing out this bank with taxpayer funds. That's what they're doing. They're guaranteeing these billionaires their money back. And how are they going to do it? They're not insured. The billionaires knew that they were insured. So Dow closed yesterday. It's going to open during our show at any moment. Uh, Dow closed yesterday down 280 points. Swiss National Bank vows to uh, bail out Credit Suisse, which is evidently I cannot give you their baseball, the back of their baseball card, but evidently they just live in the, the world of a comedy of errors. So now they're asking for $54 billion for a bailout. If you need $54 billion and you're a smaller bank, I'm pretty sure you should be bankrupt. But we backed it up, it looks like. So now we know this. The turmoil of Credit Suisse crept across uh, both sides, both Europe and here, from Wall Street on down. The Saudi National Bank saying we're not going to back that up. That didn't help. First Republic drops 23%. That doesn't help. The cryptocurrency-friendly Signature Bank was facing criminal probes even before they fell apart, thanks to Barney Frank, whose stock is now worthless, and I couldn't be happier about that. The other thing I want to talk about is the video that was released with the Russians. So if you don't know it yet, the drone, before it was taken down and put to the bottom of the Black Sea by a Russian fighter pilot, they were rolling tape. And you see the pilot come very close, clip the wing, sending it down. Air, uh, fighter pilots have told me, and we've all learned, that he very well could have, this guy, this Russian, could have knocked himself out of the sky, too. There was a report, I think it was the Wall Street Journal, that said when he landed, there were damage, but it's still not, you don't scrap the plane yet. So they take out, and the belief is, it was by mistake, they take out our drone. In international skies, now in international waters. Why is that okay? Do you know it costs up to $50 million for that? But instead of a strong response or rebuke like Turkey did when they just blew a Russian plane out of the sky, instead of a strong response, a threat like they would give us, like China continues to blast us like the Mexican president does, instead of that, we get a benign response and a a report on the war. Lloyd Austin, I don't need a report of the war. I can get that from Jack Keane because I, you're all spinning it. I don't want Millie planning, uh, praising Austin and Austin praising Millie and praising NATO. I need a speed to get these weapons and money to Ukraine to fight. That's in my view. But instead of Secretary Austin, all six foot four inches, could look intimidating as hell, instead of coming out and being forceful and letting him know, not only is it unacceptable, but you will pay the price. We're sending you a bill for $50 million. I just heard one lawmaker tell us on television on Fox and Friends 15 minutes ago, he said, I would seize Russian assets to the tune of $50 million unless they write us that check. Think about that. But instead, we got this. Cut 24. This hazardous episode is a part is part of a pattern of aggressive, risky and unsafe actions by Russian pilots in international airspace. 
Now, I just got off the phone with my Russian counterpart, Minister Shoigu. As I've said repeatedly, it's important that great powers be models of transparency and communication. And the United States will continue to fly and to operate wherever international law allows. Is that the toughness? Is that the strength? Is that Schwarzkopf? Is that Rumsfeld? And if you're not going to talk tough, you know, with a authoritative staring down the barrels, this is not acceptable. We are a superpower supporting our, uh, our ally who has invaded. You've captured, you've stolen children and forced them in adoption. You've targeted civilians. You've killed 50,000 innocent Ukrainians on an unprovoked invasion. You just shot our $50 million drone out of the sky. And that's it. I made a phone call and I wouldn't even characterize what I said or what they said back while denying everything that took place. And General Milley hopping out telling us how they're running out of friends and all that. I, I just don't understand it. So I'll talk about that. And there's a sense when you see this, Secretary of Defense, Mark Milley, a disgraced chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. When you see this and this lack of response, you see the Chinese balloon go across the country and he doesn't care, blows it up in South Carolina likes tough, and acts tough when he should have stopped in Hawaii. Uh, when you see the way we left Afghanistan, when you see the Mexican president talk to us like we're a decadent society, deny that they had fentanyl, blister back at sitting senators, and you see nothing from this administration, I don't feel great being on their side. But... It's in America's interest for Ukraine to be successful. For the next generation not to have to fight there, Ukraine has to be successful there. I'll explain my view, too. But next, Patrick Morsi, West Virginia Attorney General. Uh, he looks like he is considering running uh, for Senate. If, if Governor Jim Justice no longer wants to be governor, he'd uh, be governor, going to run for Senate. He'd be a, a perfect candidate to be governor, very successful. Uh, so he is... Uh, He's getting his political act together and seeing what's next for him. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Politics, current events, and news that affects you. Brian's got a lot more to say. Stay with Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Stay on top of the latest news and information from Fox News. Listen and download the Fox News Hourly Update on your time. The trending stories you need anytime you want it. Listen and download now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I was forced to compete against two biological males all throughout high school. I raced against these athletes over a dozen times, and every single time I lost. This is just not okay, and it's not fair. And, you know, we're dealing with something that's completely out of our control when we're racing, you know, biological males. Uh, The fact that that's still happening, that women are still losing to biological males in their own sport, shows why we need more female athletes to speak up about this. As, uh, some female athletes just trying to compete against other women. Can you imagine this? they got to fight for that. Not in West Virginia. Their attorney general is making a move led by Governor Jim Justice. And with me right now is Patrick Morsey. Uh, Mr. Uh, attorney General, thanks so much for joining us. Hey, Brian, it's good to be with you today. Thank you. It's such an important topic, and I'm glad you're covering it. It's sad that it has to be an important topic. It should be a no-brainer. Can women compete against women, transgender women, uh, transgenders, when they make that decision for whatever reason, 
uh, that's one thing that has to happen. You're not allowed to compete against other women. That's the whole thing. It's almost as if 18-year-old Kobe Bryant goes pro and wants to go back to the college uh, NCAA tournament. You can't. You made a decision. You went pro. Well, look, yeah, this is about common sense. It's about basic fairness. And every time you see a biological male competing in women's sports, you have to realize that you're displacing women who are trying to compete and advance athletic opportunities on their own. And, you know, Brian, this, this issue in West Virginia, the legislature took the time, they passed the legislation, and then immediately this was challenged, and it was enjoined, right? So the judge came in right away, he enjoined a part of the law, and then we went to work. Brian, 500 docket entries later, 3,000 pages of evidence later, the district court actually lifts his own injunction and gives us a summary judgment on the merits. Now, think about that for a moment. A judge who doesn't like the law turns around, agrees with us. So we were thrilled with it, and we thought it was common sense, consistent with the Constitution. Unfortunately, the Fourth Circuit flipped that around very quickly, and there was a unreasoned, no explanation decision. They enjoined the law again, and now that's why we have to go back up to the Supreme Court. And that's where it's at? Yeah, so we filed last week before the U.S. Supreme Court, and we've asked them to lift the injunction because we do think it's consistent with the Constitution and Title IX. And we've explained that, you know, the value of Title IX over the 50-plus years it's been in existence and the advantages for women and that the legislature was acting the right way when it did this. And as you mentioned at the top of your show, we're getting an increasing amount of women stepping up. We have Lainey Armstead, who actually is an intervener in our case. She's a courageous young woman from West Virginia State. She played soccer. You know, you could see Riley Gaines. She's been doing a lot of the interviews. Uh, people were animated when they saw Leah Thomas with the NCAA Women's Swimming Championship last year. I think more and more people recognize uh, this is something that needs to be addressed. Unfortunately, uh, we have a couple of national team players. Uh, Alex Morgan said, I have no problem playing uh, against or with transgenders. That's not helpful. I think it's selfish. You know, I can't speak to what motivates everyone else, but I will say this. Uh, in the evidence we submitted, we showed the distinctions between males and females. We showed the, the advantages that biological males have. So, you know, people can articulate their own positions, but they can't wipe away the facts and the differences between men and women and that legislatures are rational when they make decisions distinguishing that. Because if you look at the advantages, the opportunities for women, they've been tremendous since Title IX uh, passed. And that's part of what motivates West Virginia to push forward on this. This is really important for women. And uh, I feel really good on the merits. Obviously, Brian, you don't know the time and the place in terms of what a court will do when it's in procedural posture. And I have respect for the court system. Uh, but I do think this is a strong case uh, coming up to the court right now. And it's the first time this case is being heard at the high court. Uh, and will you argue it? We're going to work. We're going to figure out who's going to argue the case. 
But I will say this, we are ready, and uh, we feel that our position is clearly the one that should prevail, and we're excited about it because every time I get to wake up and uh, go to work every day and fight to protect women and do things that are meaningful, women who participate in sports go on to do incredible things. And so I'm excited to fight for the women of West Virginia and our country And I think people in West Virginia are looking forward to this. The more people are learning about this case, the more that they're interested in seeing us prevail. When you see all these stuff with banks, I'm reminded of the lawsuit with the ESG. You want these these funds, you want these companies doing the mess to maximize profit for the shareholders. And you're finding out that people are giving up of investing in oil and gas so they can do some environmental uh, causes and push their social media agenda. How did you guys respond? Yeah, absolutely. So as you know, and you've reported, Brian, um, you have a lot of people out there that are trying to advance these kind of far left woke ideas. And some of them are trying to really hurt uh, the free marketplace and the private markets. And they've advanced ideas to create these new metrics that really have nothing to do with the return on investment or the relevant value of a particular product. And they're only done for their political agenda. It might be to get rid of fossil fuels. It might be for diversity purposes, or they don't want you to give to certain people campaign contributions. They don't want you to eat meat or certain types of foods. And so you have all these wild metrics that are out there. And in one case, they're trying to really wipe out fossil fuels in West Virginia. We've stood up and we said, no, that's not going to cut it. And here's why. When you... Uh, look at, for instance, federal agencies, they're charged with doing their thing. Securities Exchange Commission, they protect investors, right? But they're not going to be transformed into an environmental regulator. And what Biden's trying to do with every agency is transform their basic mission. We're not going to let that happen. That's why we fought back and we're leading a lot of broad national coalitions against it. When are you going to decide if you're going to replace Jim Justice, who I know is term limited? Well, uh, we know that there's been some polling out there that suggests that we'd be in by far the strongest position uh, to prevail. So I'm looking very closely at that. So, Brian, you should expect in the next couple of weeks that we'll be making a decision and an announcement. But, you know, I feel really good that uh, West Virginians have responded well to our uh, record of advancing conservative issues and protecting our state, you know, top opioid Rated settlements in the country, number one per capita. Uh, if you look, I'm strongly pro-life, right. pro-Second See, Amendment. Uh, we've been doing the things to take on Biden and federal overreach in a way that no one gotcha. else in the state has. And do you want to see the governor? Do you want to see the governor run for Senate against Joe Manchin? You know, I think that's his call. So, you know, I have a good relationship with the governor. Um, obviously, we work together on a lot of issues. Uh, so, but you know, everyone has to make their own decision as to what to do. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to speak for the governor today, but I think he's very seriously thinking about it. And he he predicted, Patrick, that he would win. Patrick Morsi, West Virginia Attorney General, always in action, fighting for women's sports. Uh, Thank you, Patrick. Hey, thanks so much, Brian. Appreciate it. Best of luck with your decisions to run for governor. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade.
Well, it's unaffordable. It's unaffordable against Russia. You don't have to lump China with the, with the rest of them. It's impossible. We are on the road to bankruptcy. The American people sense it. The bank uh, bailouts are not going to happen as they did before. Uh, you know, the best thing I can think of is to say that Lindsey Graham and his peers in Washington, they're not channeling Ronald Reagan. They're channeling the Three Stooges. The last thing Americans need is a war. No more political and military incompetence, ineptitude, corruption. They want an economy that works, and they're not going to stand around and watch the financial system go under. They want real leadership, not a cardboard cutout president. I have no idea what that means, but uh, I will say this. That's Lieutenant Colonel McGregor, spent his life in the military, has it, thinks we should be the heck out of uh, Ukraine. Let them fight. That's a territorial battle. I feel differently. So does Mark Thiessen, former chief speechwriter for Bush, Fox News contributor, Washington Post columnist. Mark, your reaction to the colonel? Uh, that's so sad. <laughs> you know, the, the, the to say that this isn't channeling Reagan uh, is, is ridiculous. So, you know, Reagan came into office in 1980 in a very similar situation where Americans were tired of sending U.S. troops around the world after the Vietnam War. Um, but we had to confront uh, a dangerous world in which an expansionist uh, em- evil empire was uh, was trying to uh, to gobble up other countries. And so he forged something called the Reagan Doctrine, which was simply that we're not going to send our troops to fight these wars. There are, pe- there are freedom fighters around the world who want to fight these, these our enemies for us. And all they need is some money, some weapons, some training, some intelligence, some diplomatic support, and they'll, they'll take on the fight themselves. And we're in a similar situation now where after after Iraq and Afghanistan, Americans don't want to send troops around the world. They're right. Um, but the Ukrainians aren't asking for American troops. They're, so they're, they, all they're asking for is weapons and training and uh, and uh, support. Uh, and they're willing to fight their own war for uh, their own war. So this is the Reagan strategy. Uh, now, Joe Biden is no Reagan. He's not providing them with the weapons they need to win. He's giving them just enough to not lose. Um, and so that's the problem. But we should be pushing uh, Biden to be more Reagan-esque and put, to follow the Reagan doctrine more, not following uh, you know the, the advocacy of the position that Ted Kennedy and the liberal Democrats of Reagan's day made, which was no aid to the Contras, uh, cut the defense budget. Uh, Reagan's going to start World War III with his provocative actions. We, I mean, too many conservatives today, including, by the way, the Heritage Foundation, which is advocating all of this stuff, Ronald Reagan's favorite think tank. He's rolling in his grave. You know, they sound like the Ted Kennedy and the Democrats of the, of the, of the 1980s who are afraid of their own shadow and are advocating, you know, the, the peaceful coexistence with uh, with uh, with Soviet communism. That's what well, they're channeling today. Well, put it this way. Donald Trump has always looked towards non-intervention. He wanted to get out of Afghanistan. I don't believe he would have gotten out that way. As soon as he saw the way it was going, he would have stopped it. Just his own uh, ego would have prevented that. That's my view. Uh, but he did yeah. want to get out. But Joe Biden got out and he ignored all uh, military advice. Now we're seeing... That Joe Biden, again, has no faith in the American people that his instincts are right. Remember, he told Zelensky, You'll be in a good, you're going to get defeated in three days. You want to ride? And he said, no, I need guns. I need weapons. And a year later, he says, I'll do whatever it takes. That's also the wrong line. Because whatever it takes is not what Ukrainians want to hear. So the problem is, a little bit of this, uh, Mark, is the person in charge, the Secretary of State, who gets into, uh, loses verbal sparring sessions with the Chinese. A secretary of defense that says this when our $50 million drone gets knocked out of the sky. Cut 24. This hazardous episode is a part 
is part of a pattern of aggressive, risky, and unsafe actions by Russian pilots in international airspace. Now, I just got off the phone with my Russian counterpart, Minister Shoigu. As I've said repeatedly, it's important that great powers be models of transparency and communication. And the United States will continue to uh, I can't even fly. hear it. I mean, this guy, he's putting me to sleep. Is this a guy that just got a $50 million Predator uh, aircraft sh- knocked out of the sky in international waters? That's not the tone. No, it's weakness. But here's, here's the thing. Ask yourself a question, Brian. Let's say that Joe Biden decided... We, you know, we just got out of Afghanistan. We're not, we can't, we can't get involved in a war with Russia. Yep. We're not going to support uh, Ukraine. And Vladimir Putin marched on Kiev and took over Kiev. What would all these conservatives be saying? Oh my God, weakness! What a, what a, what a feckless leader! First the Afghan withdrawal. Now, now Russia is in Kiev, and we did nothing. How, how, you know, what kind of leadership is this? So they would be all on the other side of the of the position if 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 Biden followed their advice. If Biden was doing what some of these conservatives are doing and saying, cut off Ukraine, they would be doing the opposite. They would be saying that he was a weak leader. So, you know, we've we've got this weird situation where where Joe Biden is doing the right thing, but not well. Right. He's he is not giving the Ukrainians the tools they need to actually win the war. He's just giving them enough to keep a stalemate and then saying as long as it takes. And people look at that and say, what do you mean as long as it takes? What we need, but what conservatives should be doing is say, let's help the Ukrainians fight to win. It's a completely winnable conflict, but we're not and attacking Biden from the right instead of from the left. That's the problem: is that we have, we don't have a strategy. We don't have the we're not giving them the resources to, to win, and so we're getting in this. We're supporting. We're creating a stalemate. That's the problem. But all these conservatives are hypocrites because they would be they would be saying the exact opposite if Biden followed their own advice. Uh, listen, I'm with you 100 percent. So I would add this. Uh, Governor DeSantis came out and said this is a territorial dispute. We should not be giving them fighter jets. We're not giving offensive weapons. Uh, this is not our not one of our priorities. Your reaction? Um, I'm super disappointed in, in Ron DeSantis. And quite frankly, I look at what Ron DeSantis said in 2014 when he criticized the Obama administration for not giving them weapons, uh, for, uh, for standing by and allowing Russia to, uh, to invade and annex Crimea. He was extremely critical of that and, and, their, and their failure to, do, to, to support those weapons and said we should be giving them weapons to defend themselves. He was right then. Um, and, you know, I, I have I I have a lot of hope that Ron DeSantis will will see the, the error of his ways. It's his first stumble as a presidential candidate. Uh, I hope he'll I hope he'll correct it uh, as he goes. But uh, I was I was just extremely disappointed. Yeah, I mean, uh, that's a very similar to Trump, uh, very different from Nikki Haley, very different from Mike Pence. Tim Scott was kind of uh, vague. Mike Pompeo believes we should be taking action there. So. Let's go to yesterday, instead of using an opportunity to say how upset we were about losing a $50 million aircraft, they quickly pivoted to what the state of things are on the ground. So this is how Lloyd Austin describes what's happening one year later, cut 25. So Russia is running out of capability and running out of friends. Putin has now had a year's worth of proof that the United States and the contact group will support Ukraine's right to defend itself for the long haul. But Putin still hopes that he can wear down Ukraine and wait us out. So we can't let up, and we won't. So, uh, I mean, 
they have capabilities. We know what's going on in Bakhmut. We know that because we didn't get weapons quick enough, there was no winter surge. We had uh, Dan Bielak here, who's investment counselor to the prime minister, and he said if we had gotten the weapons and tanks that we were promised, we could have done a winter surge. What are you yeah. sensing on the ground? So here's the thing. The Russians are incapable of taking uh, taking Ukraine as long as we help Ukraine. If we pulled out of all of all of our weapons and all of our support and all of the, you know, where the targeting and the intelligence we're giving them, they would march on keep. Right. But they, because but but they can't do that because because they're they can't carry out what's called combined arms warfare. I had Jack Keen on my podcast. What the hell was going on a week ago? And he laid this out to 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 take territory. You need to have certain tools. You need to have infantry. You need to have tanks. You need to have long range fire. You need air defense and air support. And we are not giving the Ukrainians most of that. We're get, we, we, until recently, we weren't giving them uh, any kind of tanks. We, uh, that we weren't giving. We're giving them HIMARS, which are sort of medium-range rockets, but we won't give them the Attackums, which are longer-range, 200-range rock, uh, rockets. We won't give them F-16s and fighters. Until recently, we wouldn't give them uh, Patriot air defense systems, and so they were slaughtering Ukrainian civilians. And so what we've done is we've given them enough tools. To, to stop the Russians from taking territory, but we're not giving them tools to take territory themselves. Jack Keane believes, and this is the guy who designed the surge in Iraq that turned that war around. He, this, is, this guy knows how to win wars. General Jack Keane, four-star general, you see him on Fox all the time. He says that if we gave them those tools for combined arms warfare, the Ukrainians could drive the Russians out of every inch of Ukrainian territory, including Crimea, by this time next year. That is an achievable goal. Um, but not if they don't have the tools to do it. If you don't have the weapons, you can't carry out combined arms warfare. And so what happens is we're in a stalemate. And the longer we're in a stalemate, the more support erodes. And the more support erodes, the more the Russians think they can just wait us out. And quite frankly, right now, they're waiting for Donald Trump or Ron DeSantis to come into the White House and take away the aid so that they can, so that they can win in Ukraine. I mean, um, and, and that's, that's the sad state of affairs right now. Uh, and it's just it's for anyone who cares about freedom, who anyone cares about the Reagan legacy. It is so disp- uh, um, it's so depressing to see the state of this war, the state of the weak leadership of the Biden administration and Republicans advocating even greater weakness. Yeah. The other thing is Ronald Reagan. You can't say that he wouldn't have been involved if you look what he did in Afghanistan, green lighting Charlie Wilson's war, uh, what he did with Contras. He saw them as a threat. He was, willing, he was willing to take action around the country to make sure the, the Soviets were matched in every, every phase, every continent. Exactly. And, you know, Afghanistan, everyone says, well, we can't we, – This is it's too provocative to drive – to have set a goal of driving Putin out of every inch of Ukrainian territory. He might start a nuclear war. No, he's not going to start a nuclear war. And they said the same thing about Reagan in Afghanistan. And guess what? We drove the Soviets out of every inch of Afghanistan. And they didn't start a nuclear war. The Russians are not going to start a nuclear war because, number one, they don't want to fight us. They can't even beat Ukraine. How are they going to fight us? Uh, and they don't want to – Putin doesn't want to be responsible for the destruction of Russia. And two, they're not going to start use a tactical weapon because they're not the, – they, the Russian army – doesn't have the capability to defend its own troops or, or from, 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 a, from nuclear fallout. The nuclear fallout would, would, would kill course. Russian civilians. It would flow back into Russia. They, they're not going to use a tactical nuclear weapon. And do we want to set a precedent, Brian, that it, nations can use their nuclear arsenals as cover to carry out 
conventional uh, aggression against our, our allies. If that's the case, then guess what? China's going to do the same thing against Taiwan. North Korea is going to take the same lesson and do it against South Korea. Iran is going to take the lesson, we better become a nuclear state so we can attack Israel and, and, and other countries. We don't want to set the precedent that you can, if you have a nuclear weapon, you can stop the United States yeah. from helping free nations defend themselves against conventional aggression. So they're already making moves in uh, Moldova. Uh, they're looking to uh, uh, create havoc again in Georgia. And then Belarus is going to be absorbed by 2031. So you can't say this is isolated and it's just a problem between Ukraine and Russia. I thought that was pretty clear. But don't you think it would help if you had a good communicator in office to explain what exactly the objective is? How much damage has been done? How many babies have been stolen from their families, brought into Russia and forced to adoption? How many schools have been bombed? How many hospitals have been raided? Uh, How many women have been raped? You don't hear anything. No. You don't. And also, here's the other thing you don't hear. If we are every tank that the that the Ukrainians destroy is decimating the Russian military threat to Europe. Right. So if we help the Ukrainians win and they destroy the Russian military, it'll take Russia decades to rebuild its military. And what does that mean? That means the threat to NATO is lowered. And so we can reduce our defense spending in Europe, reduce our troop presence in Europe and reorient it towards China. So it'll cost us less in the long run because we can cut our spending on NATO and focus it on 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 Asia if we win. Right. If not, yeah, the money we're spending on weapons for Ukraine pales in. You know, we're sending more troops to Europe now to defend to shore up our Baltic allies and our NATO allies in Poland. We could be taking troops out of Europe and moving them to Asia to counter China, but we can only do that if the Russians destroy the Ukraine. But why does Mark Thiessen have to explain that and not this administration from every level? Why, if they don't, even if they don't have a great communicator, why? Where is the message? Instead, they they declare what they want to declare. They keep writing checks. It gets people nervous. We watch our banks fall apart. The border collapse. And they say, what's going on? This this is this is crazy. Let's just get our money out because people act irrationally sometimes because they're not explained what the overarching policy is. That's what worries people as I, you speak to normal weak. people walk through the because walk through this weak. country. Because the Democrats are weak, because Biden is weak, because he can't lay out that vision, because they're, they, they don't believe in it. Uh, and and the problem is is that we on the right should be pushing him towards a Reagan policy instead of pushing him towards a, towards a uh, towards a uh, cut and run left wing policy of retreat in the face of aggression around the world. All right, Mark Thiessen, you writing about this? I am. I'm doing. I'm actually working on a column for the Washington Post on the on the America First realist argument for Ukraine, even if you don't care about Ukraine, even if you're not Mm -hmm. moved by the Ukrainians, what are the arguments from a pure U.S. national interest uh, position on why we should help Ukraine? Just make sure you reference the show and just cite my overwhelming support as a big uh, push and uh, a big factor in the success of your career. We're we're going to call the kill me doctrine. Right. The kill me. If you don't mind. I will. Absolutely. Done. (laughs) All right, Mark. (laughs) Thank you. I wish I had some power. I would be my doctrine. Mark Thiessen would write it and implement it. Mark, thanks so much. All right. Well, we, we could, why is it so funny that I have a doctrine? one 408 You don't have to agree with us. That's what's great about this show. But that's how we feel. Giving you everything you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade.
He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. The way this country is run is so superior to any system that is anywhere else in the world because of the checks and balances that were put in place by the founding fathers. They knew that tyranny is a natural course of progression for human nature. It's just what people do when they get in control. They become dictators, and they put all these checks and balances in the House and the Senate, and, the, and they did it all with the Electoral College to make sure that this term limits, make sure that you can't do that. Yeah. Make sure you can't do what Putin's doing. Make sure you can't do what Kim Jong-un's doing. Because when you get into a position like that, just look what they try to do. Uh, Joe Rogan making a lot of sense just talking about what's going on in this country right now. Again, you don't want to label him Republican or Democrat, but I think he's reasonable. Like Bill Maher, like so many others who you say, well, yeah, they're never going to vote for the same people. But at least we could read it's a great country. Uh, Joe Rogan, uh, I think that you have a, a lot of people like that, especially who are on his podcast. And you also realize how we're being let down by our leaders. I want leaders, even if you don't agree with them, that are bright, that are understanding, that have a, a sense of our country and history. Does anybody think that Kamala Harris is like that? She was on last night, and I'm not going to be able to play it this hour, with Stephen Colbert. And she was asked a simple question. Now, what's the simplest question you could ever get? Time's up. Describe your job. She can't even do that. Describe your job. She doesn't do it. Instead, she talks about working with President Biden. At the end of it, she says, yeah, what's your job? She laughs ridiculously and continues. And she was also heckled when she came in. If you want any of my books talking about history, uh, whether it's George Washington, Secret Six, whether it's Thomas Jefferson, the Tripoli Pirates, Andrew Jackson, the Miracle of New Orleans, Sam Houston, the Alamo Avengers, the President and Freedom Fighter, uh, go order them. I can sign them and send them out. BrianKillMe.com. See you then. Keep it here. News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan. Heard around the country, around the world. Uh, this hour, we're going to be joined by Dodgers great, Padres great, Steve Garvey. Uh, get ready to celebrate St. Patrick's Day and a brand new baseball season with brand new rules. Ten-time All-Star. Uh, also, Senator Lindsey Graham is standing by. A lot to discuss today as we come to you from New York, where uh, there, we haven't discussed yet the border. we got about 50,000 illegal aliens living in our city, that are about 1,000 of which we have pledged college to, putting up in uh, dozens of hotels throughout the city, feeding and clothing, all about our border, all about the president's terrible policies. Uh, so, let, And by the way, Janet Yellen on Capitol Hill today trying to explain what's going on with the economy. Good luck with that. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. This hazardous episode is a part is part of a pattern of aggressive, risk, risky, and unsafe actions by Russian pilots in international airspace. Yeah, that's our Secretary of Defense falling woefully short. Russia takes out our $50 million drone, and our response is equally inadequate. Fueling the anti-Ukraine war attitude in our country, Austin, Millie, and Biden have one thing in common. They don't instill confidence in any mission, even if the mission is right. Number two. Chief Ortiz, does DHS have operational control of our entire border? No, sir. 
That is Raul Ortiz taking politics out of it in McAllen, Texas, denying that Biden patrol chief bucks his boss and Trump's uh, trumpets the border is not secure. Will this embarrass the Democrats into sealing it? How many have to be let in now and how many more Americans have to die while we just let the Mexican uh, cartels run rampant? Number one. These banks are under tremendous stress right now. And if there's weaknesses at these banks, they're getting flushed out and exposed and deposits are leaving the system very quickly, causing these banks to be imperiled and then potentially creating the risk of the next cascading failure. Uh, There it is. That's David Sachs trying to make heads or tails at what's happening with our economy. Can anyone figure this out from inflation to bank failures? Our economy's in peril. And this administration is incapable of getting ahead of this crisis or explaining it. But the stakes have never been higher. Uh, With me right now, Senator Lindsey Graham, Senator, ranking member of the Senate Judiciary Committee, member of the Appropriations and Budget Committee with this uh, with this rich uh, international relations background. Senator, first off, what do you want to hear from Janet Yellen today? Well, number one, a realization that inflation is putting our country at risk and the policies of the Biden administration when it comes to inflation not working. Uh, They've driven up the the cost of everything. We need to open up more oil and gas exploration to lower gas prices. When it comes to, you know, their policies, uh, it's just not working. Uh, The bank in question, it wasn't lack of regulation. The regulators were asleep at the uh, switch. They had most of their assets in treasury bonds, and as interest rates go up, the value of those assets go down. So it was a poorly run bank. But I'd like to see her admit that Biden's economic policies uh, when it comes to controlling inflation are not working. Yeah, but the thing is she's going to lean on jobs. Look at the unemployment rate. Yeah, I mean, the bottom line here is you still can't get workers. And uh, the bottom line is that uh, there is a worker shortage. You know, all the money from COVID made it too easy not to work. We're finally getting out of that. So what could they do differently? I think the first thing they could do differently, quite frankly, is change their energy policies. Look at how much inflation is caused by the increase in gas and diesel. If you're farming now, your energy cost, your diesel cost have almost doubled. So I would start with that. Got it. Uh, So yesterday uh, we saw that uh, Ron DeSantis a couple of days ago, well, all the candidates for president were asked, Tucker asked him to write in and say, what's your policy when it comes to Ukraine? And one of the here's an excerpt from what uh, Governor DeSantis said. We cannot prioritize intervention in escalating foreign wars over the defense of our own homeland, especially as tens of thousands of Americans are dying every year from narcotics smuggled across our border. And our weapons arsenals critical for our security are rapidly being depleted. And he went on. He does not think this is more than a territorial incursion. What is your reaction to his to what he would be his policy? Well, he used to have a different view, but uh, I respectfully disagree. He's right about fentanyl. So what am I going to do? You know, the Biden approach to foreign policy is not working. When you lay down uh, and and cower in front of aggression, you get more of it. How could you get a bigger war? How could we get a really big war? Let Putin take Ukraine. He's not going to stop. He'll go to Moldova, then the, the country of Georgia, and he's looking that the Baltic states are in NATO. So the likelihood of a big war between America and Russia comes from letting him get away with destroying the Ukraine because he'll keep going. Then you'll have a NATO conflict against Russia involving Americans. Right now, we have no American troops involved at all in Ukraine. How do you get a bigger war? Is if you're weak in Ukraine and give Russia a pass and 
give in to his threats, there goes Taiwan, and China will invade Taiwan. How do you get a bigger war? You sit on the sidelines, and you watch the Iranians enrich uranium up to weapons-grade level. They're at 86 percent. They need 90 percent to make a bomb. You're going to put uh, Israel in a terrible spot. They're going to have to take military action to stop the Iranian march to a nuclear weapon. So with all due respect to the governor, uh, Ukraine is vitally important to us. Uh, Putin's trying to rewrite the map of Europe. If you can stop him in Ukraine, his ambitions fail. If you think giving in to Putin makes China less provocative, you're, you're missing a lot. So the Biden approach to the drone is just awful. His approach to the border is not working. The Mexican president is telling everybody, don't vote Republican because me and Dan Crenshaw and, and, and uh, Waltz want to go after the drug cartels. The president of Mexico is denying that it's a narco state. It is a narco state. I want to up our game. I hope. Governor DeSantis will support my approach to make the uh, cartels foreign terrorist organizations under U.S. law and authorized use of military force, if necessary, to protect America from fentanyl poisoning. Back to the central question here. Yep. If we can stop Putin in Ukraine, the world resets in all the right ways. If he gets away with war crimes on an industrial scale, we look the other way, then you're going to have a bigger war in Europe that's going to bleed over to Asia and the Mideast. Uh I agree. I'm trying to make this a more interesting subject by disagreeing. So I'll play Douglas McGregor from last night with Tucker Carlson. He thinks you're totally wrong. Cut 30. Well, it's unaffordable. It's unaffordable against Russia. You don't have to lump China with the, with the rest of them. It's impossible. We are on the road to <laughs> bankruptcy. The American people sense it. The bank uh, bailouts are not going to happen as they did before. You know, the best thing I can think of is to say that Lindsey Graham and his peers in Washington, they're not channeling Ronald Reagan. They're channeling the Three Stooges. The last thing Americans need is a war. No more political and military incompetence, ineptitude, corruption. They want an economy that works, and they're not going to stand around and watch the financial system go under. They want real leadership, not a cardboard cutout president. That's his uh, thoughts. You <laughs> Challenge well, them? you know, I mean, it's a it's a free country. I'm sure he and others are are patriotic. They have an approach that's failing. Okay, did we start the war in Ukraine? Did Ukraine invade Russia? The Ukrainians gave up a nuclear weapons force, the third largest on the planet in 1994. They had 1,700 nuclear weapons. They gave them back to Russia after the collapse of the Soviet Union, with the understanding and guarantee that their integrity would be respected territorially. And the map in 94, Brian, included Crimea. What what the, the colonel was doing, he's legitimizing uh, Putin tearing up an international agreement that enticed Ukraine to give up his nuclear weapons. You know, that happened in World War II. Every time uh, Hitler would make a deal, he would break it and everybody would excuse him. So we're on a path to a wider conflict with Russia. Russia will not stop in Ukraine. Uh, apparently, uh, you know, the colonel is not listening to what Putin said. They're threatening Moldova, as I speak, which is not a NATO ally but an important uh, democracy uh, in Europe. Then the country of Georgia is being threatened, which is right on the border of Russia. And the uh, NATO members uh, in the Baltics right. are very much worried about a Russian incursion. So – their model is the Biden model. It's not working. Every time you give in to aggression, you get a bigger war. Every time you lay down in the face of aggression, 
is seen as weakness by other aggressors. Ronald Reagan and Donald Trump had a different model. When they blew up a disco in Berlin when I was over there in the 80s, they connected it to Libya. Then Ronald Reagan shot a missile through Gaddafi's window. Can you imagine this drone being taken down on Reagan's watch, flying in international airspace, every right to be where we were? And if you don't believe they intentionally knocked it down, you shouldn't be allowed to drive. Whether the pilot meant to hit it or not, they're trying to knock it out of the air. They intentionally destroyed American military asset lawfully flying. So what did Reagan, what did Trump do when uh, the Iranians were threatening Americans all over the world? He killed Soleimani. What did he do with Bag uh, with ISIS? He took him down. So Biden and Obama's policies have led to major disruption of international uh, world order, and I reject them. And no matter what the motivations of the colonel, he's actually justifying biden and i'm not so the russian ambassador called you out and said the calls of some <laughs> legislators doing something right <laughs> yeah the calls of some legislators go to the ministry of defense of the russian federation explain the detail the reasons or procedure for the actions of the russian pilots i repeat for those who do not find the strength to look at the situation objectively our fighters did not come into contact with the americans uav russia did its best to prevent such incidents it brought to the attention of the intestine community uh, and he goes on of course it's a shame for the pentagon to lose expensive equipment but in this case uh the u.s military should be redirected to their address your reaction i'm trying not to laugh on your show but i am okay one he's a liar uh, the chinese are lying it wasn't a weather balloon if you believe it's a weather balloon, you've got a serious problem on your hand. It was a spy balloon that Biden allowed to fly over the entire United States and shot down off the coast of South Carolina after it flew over the continental United States. The Russian warplanes were trying to take down a military asset of the United States and flying in international airspace. They did it on purpose. Look at the, the video from the drone itself. I don't believe this Russian propaganda. I don't believe this Chinese propaganda. This is what bullies do. They lie to you and expect you to bend down to the lie. Here's what I would do in response. I would, sign, I would send drones up again right in the same area. I'd send more than one, and I would tell the Russians, if you try to attack a military asset of the United States flying lawfully in international airspace, you do so at your own peril. I would keep helping Ukraine beat the Russians in Ukraine so we don't get a wider war, not one American soldier is dying. I would give them F-16s to the Pentagon. The Pentagon has been slow and a weak response. The tanks, it took us forever to get the tanks. The Pentagon resisted the tanks. HIMARS, long-range artillery, they bought into the idea it would be provocative toward Russia. I'm not worried about being provocative toward Russia. I'm worried about stopping Russia and Ukraine so America doesn't get in a war with Russia. So the bottom line is is that we've got it wrong. The Biden approach is not working. To those on the right who want to adopt the Biden approach, uh, count me out. Right. Uh, so also you did, they're calling you out saying – uh, the video backs up what you're saying. The video that was released a few hours ago <laughs> show that the Russian jet yeah. clipped our armed, our unarmed predator drone and knocked it right. into the Black Sea. So yeah. there, that's a, that's a lie. And you say go right back into it. And a lot of people have pointed out Reagan would not have done this. Reagan was involved in these wars. How would Reagan have handled this? 
You know, I, I don't want to speak for a dead man. I just respect everyone. I know what happened in the 80s. I was stationed in the United States Air Force uh, from 84 to 88 in Europe. That's when the wall fell in 89. What did Reagan do? Reagan put nuclear-tipped cruise missiles in Europe when I was there, telling the Russians, we're putting everything on the table if you tried to invade Europe. He understood they had more conventional forces than the United States and NATO combined. So he put cruise uh, missiles nuclear-tipped to let the Russians know he was serious. They backed down. The Soviet Union collapsed. When Libya was associated with attacking a disco in Berlin that killed two American airmen, uh, Reagan sent fighters to try to kill Gaddafi. What did Ronald? Uh, what did Donald Trump do uh, when uh, uh, there was a bombing in Syria uh, uh, by Assad uh, associated with Russia? He fought back. What did he do with Soleimani? He killed the biggest terrorist uh, in the, on the entire planet who was trying to kill Americans. I am confident that strength is better than weakness. Mm-hmm. I am confident that Joe Biden is on the wrong track on multiple fronts. And the best way to prevent a war is to stand up the thugs, not run and hide in the corner. Do you think we should just let them go get the uh, go get our drone off the ocean floor in the Black Sea? Do we have a choice? <laughs> we- well, we're in a, a race for the wreckage of the drone. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure that the drone's probably been destroyed. But here's what I would do in response. I would send drones back in the same airspace. We have a right to do so. I'm not going to let Russia tell us what to do militarily. I'm not going to let Russia make U.S. foreign policy. If we back down to Russian threats in Ukraine, there goes Taiwan. If we back down to Russian threats in Ukraine, the Iranians are going to sprint to a bomb, putting Israel in a real big bad situation. This is a defining moment in world history. The worst possible thing to do is give in to threats of Russia uh, at this critical moment in time. China is watching. So I'd send the drones right back in, Mm -hmm. and I'd have fighter aircraft uh, ready to defend them if they're attacked by Russia. Russia is the aggressor, not Ukraine, not Lindsey Graham. Last question. Real quick, do you think that they're going to have enough tanks and weaponry to have a surge in the spring, Ukraine? Uh, They need the fighters yesterday, so let's put fighter aircraft into the system. I think they will. I think the spring offensive, uh, they're down to female prisoners uh, fighting on the front. The Ukrainians have decimated the Russian army. It's coming a heavy cross to Ukraine. We can win this if you give the Ukrainians the weapons they need. The Biden administration has been incredibly slow, slow. They do the right thing in the wrong way, and it's costing lives. And the worst possible thing you could do in this war, in my opinion, is let gotcha. Russia get away with invading Ukraine. Thanks so much, Senator Lindsey Graham. You made it clear you have a different view. You'll be you up mine, though. Information you want, truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. It's going to be really interesting because you got 2024 and here we are in 2023. Could you imagine what it's going to be like next year when it comes to Ukraine? That's why speed matters. If there is a legitimate meeting at the White House, and if Barack Obama, if uh, Barack Obama, if Joe Biden's really in charge, he's going to say, guys. If we want to achieve our objective, we want to get Ukraine to get back, let's say, the Donbass region back, and maybe they stop at Crimea, whatever it is, get them on the offensive. If they want to have a ceasefire, it's got to happen before 2024, if they want to be successful. 
you know, they want to do this for political purposes. If you want to be successful and if you really see Eastern Europe in peril, and I do, and so do I think most of you, then get it done now. Because if this is a 2024 issue, it'll be impossible for the Republican candidates to get the nomination and still support it. That's just, I know the world's up on his head when Republicans are stronger on defense. Excuse me, Democrats would be stronger on an offensive uh, clash than Democrats, uh, than Republicans. But that's what it would be. Time matters. Speed matters. It's got to be a massive push to push back these inept Russians who are just ruthless and without morals to push them way the hell back. And then you'll have a sense of this country that it won't be politically advantageous to criticize the war effort. But Steve Garvey, when we come back, we talk about America's pastime. We're a couple of weeks away from opening day, one day away from St. Patrick's Day. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. Here's the pitch. Swung on, a high fly ball, left field. Going back as Reigns, he won't get it. That ball is out of here and a home run. Steve Garvey has given the Dodgers a 3-1 to lead with a two-run homer here in the eighth inning. Garvey just teed off on a fastball by Bill Gullickson, and the Dodgers lead by two. That was the 1981 uh, NLCS Game 4, Steve Garvey's homer. Why would I say that? Because in studio, if you're smart enough to get Fox Nation, you see the uh, the Dodger great played with the, uh, and also great with the Padres. Uh, Steve Garvey, welcome back. Great to be with you again. What was it like hearing that? Oh, I got to come here more often. <laughs> Once a week. I'll right. pay. I'll pay. <laughs> Do you remember that at bat? I did because it was, uh, it was a crucial situation. We were down uh, two games to one. And we had lost home field advantage in L.A. Uh, Ray Burris threw a great game. So um, now all of a sudden we're looking at elimination. And this was a group that was just about at the end of our contracts in the great run in the 70s, early 80s. Uh, it was a cold day, uh, kind of like today here. And uh, I just guessed uh, slider and hit it out and we win the game. And then we go to game five, which is the iconic, uh, uh, was it Blue Monday in which Rick Monday hits a home run in the uh, top of the ninth inning, and we beat him 2-1 to one and go on to New York and lose the first two to the Yankees. We, we lost the first two to Houston, and then we split with Montreal, lost the first two to uh, to New York. And we're riding home, and everybody says, oh, here we go again, because 77-78 Yankees have beat us. And I said, we got them right where we want them. Everybody kind of laughed at me. And we went back to L.A. And, and swept three and came back here and won game six. Uh, and arguably the – the greatest moment of my career, because if you're a team sport player, winning a world championship is the ultimate. So, um, and what about doing it in New York? Well, in New York, you know, my roots are here in New York. Family from Rockville Center and uh, Long Island and Glen Cove, oh, Massapequa, Massapequa. Are you? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, the neighborhood. Yeah. Uh, mother was from Baldwin, and uh, grandfather was a Brooklyn policeman, which is you know, part of the legacy I have in the game of uh, growing up in Florida. A little longer story. Uh, but bat boying for the Dodgers in the spring of 1956 at the age of eight. Uh, Dad was a Greyhound bus driver. And uh, and seeing Hodges and Frillo and Snyder and Robinson uh, and the iconic, you know, boys of summer. And they just beaten the Yankees in 55. So I got to bat boy for the world champion Brooklyn Dodgers and fell in love. And 12 years later, out of Michigan State, I was drafted in the first round. And rest is history. How was Ebbets Field? What was it like? Well, Grandpa used to take me there. We'd come up every Thanksgiving. And, uh, and of course, by the time we got up, it was late November, and the Dodgers had probably played the Yankees in a World Series. 
But I remember seeing this ballpark and thinking it's smaller than I, I anticipated it being. And all the signs and the angles and so forth. Uh, but to see a, a major league ballpark in it to be Ebbets Field for the first time uh, was pretty special. I understand that it was you were right on the field and that people say, go to Fenway. That was similar. Yeah. Do you feel like you're right there? Is that is that correct? Yeah, they built the field so that the I mean, the stands were within 20, 25 feet of, of the bases and the lines. So you were up close and personal. And the irony is over the years, and of course starting in 70, they went to these multipurpose stadiums for football and baseball, and they were they were mostly cold and sterile and symmetrical. And then all of a sudden uh, they started building these uh, stadiums like, well, beginning with Camden Yards, uh, that started to replicate the old stadiums and the charm and the decks and new amenities, obviously, infrastructure, but to bring the, the fans closer to the game. I love what they did in San Diego, too. Oh, right. It's, it's a they great, did a great job. Petco is it's right downtown. It's right across from the convention center and the waters, maybe uh, 500 par five away. Uh, and you look out at, at, at the new city and, and, and the buildings. Uh, but it's charming and it's close and it's 41,000, I think. And the old uh, gas and electric building, which is made out of brook, uh, brick, is down the left field line. And the corner of the building is actually the foul line. It's a yellow line painted up. So uh, getting back to the roots of uh, of the interaction of the fans being closer with the new contemporary right. amenities, uh, I think is good for the game. So Steve Garvey's here. I can't believe your stats. I mean, I didn't know the two-time uh, NLS uh, MVP, World Series champion 81, you just heard it, four-time Gold Glove winner at first, the 1974 N- uh, MVP in the National League, 10-time All-Star, and you won the Clemente Award in 1984 and the Lou Gehrig Memorial Award. And you just didn't move. Everyone knew what your infield was going to be, and Steve Garvey was going to be on first. Everybody knew that Ron Say was playing third. Everyone knew Bill Russell was playing short. Everyone knew Davey Lopes was playing second. Everyone knew Jaeger was a catcher. Yeah, right. And, and, you know, you'd have some rotations in the outfield, but it was great for fans because we knew who the Dodgers were. We knew who the Giants were. Free agents was also cool in a way, but then you began to see the players move and – you suddenly realize where loyalty lives, and sure. and the players needed to get that. Obviously, I remember it was it the first was it Andy Messersmith, the first free agent. Yeah, yeah. Andy uh, Messersmith. Yeah, right. and uh, yeah, Jerry Capstone. He left your team as an agent. And Jerry uh, was my agent, and uh, he left the team. But Kurt Flood uh, really opened. Did it? <laughs> hate to say this, but the floodgates because he was the one that took the stand, and uh, for free agency left the country, and ultimately. His move opened the doors for free agency in the late 70s. Right. And uh, I remember at his funeral, uh, it was attended by a lot of the great black leaders in the country, Jesse Jackson and so forth. And uh, I said, uh, L.A. Times, a writer asked me, what impact did this have? I said, this changed, changed the face of sports. And ironically, the other man that changed it was Marvin Miller, who got in the Hall of Fame last year in terms of the business of the game and bringing parity between the players and the owners. But you don't have parity. One thing in the league uh, you don't have without a salary cap, I guess you have the luxury tax. It's hard to see. Like the Pirates don't have a shot. The Marlins are already eliminated. I guess you could say bad owners, but uh, you could also say, and Pittsburgh should not be a small city. I mean, Pittsburgh competes in everything. So, but, but Brian, it, you and I have the opportunity to buy a franchise, any franchise, right. maybe a small market. The value is still going to be a billion and a half because of media rights. So, 
Do we take the small market and gripe and complain, oh, my Lord, I can't pay that much money, or do we try to make the most out of it? Use your minor league system in your Asian like office. Like Tampa. Like Tampa. Look what Oakland's done over the years. I mean, Tampa's a great example. Minnesota's being, contending again. Being competitive every year by being smart, use of sabermetrics and, and just good common sense on player evaluation. If you put the two together, you can be competitive. Right. Uh, by the way, Steve Garvey, not, he's not just here for me. He's here because tomorrow is uh, St. Patrick's Day. And, Steve, you have been selected to serve as the first ever Irish baseball ambassador by the Irish American Baseball Society. I did not know we had him. Yeah. Ireland cares about baseball? Oh, absolutely. Starting in 1872, the Boston Red Stock Stockings did an exhibition game there. Uh, it captivated the viewers. And slowly, but that time it was what rounders. Was 1872. I'm going way back now. Uh, but it, capt- it captivated the people watching a ball and a bat and so forth. And by the- At that time, everybody has to remember rounders was the big sport in Europe at the time. But eventually, by the time you got into, you know, 1980 or 90, the game caught, off, caught on in Ireland. And, uh, and what we're doing with the society is help- helping build the infrastructure in Ireland. And right. here in the United States for Irish-American boys and girls to play baseball and, and softball. But over in Ireland is to develop uh, new fields and a stadium in Belfast. We've got one in Dublin area. And this year we'll have 5,000 new boys and girls playing baseball and softball in Ireland. And the goal is to, to develop the Irish team so that it competes in the WBC, which is uh, what's happening right now. And there's no reason why uh, the heritage can't uh, – can't uh, come back into form because there were no more players in Major League Baseball than the Italians and the Irish through the last 150 years. So uh, the ancestry is there and the history is there. And what we're trying to do is uh, through uh, everybody, we've got a couple of thousand members of the society now, is help to get Irish baseball competitive throughout the world and hopefully to have an exhibition game in the next three or four years uh, with a couple of major league teams. They've had it in England. They're going to have one in in, uh, France. So how do you qualify for the Irish uh, World Baseball uh, League? I mean, this WBC is on right now where countries play for countries. Do you have to just Irish heritage? you have to be born there? Irish heritage, uh, yeah, and you have to be born there. Oh, okay. And, uh, you know, it's different. A lot of countries have, uh, if a relative or especially a parent uh, has a heritage from, say, Israel, uh, then they have the opportunity to, to gotcha. play for the Israeli team. So it's been a little more strict with, with the Irish uh, uh, baseball uh, organization. But uh, so be it. You know, it's it's kind of good to have good, strong rules sometimes. That over over the next five, six, seven years, you're going to see the emergence of Ireland in the WBC, right. uh, and uh, you know, by by organizations like ours, uh, things are moving very fast, and especially up in the New England area. We have a number of leagues up there with I- Irish American uh, boys and girls. So uh, he's got New York roots. Uh, but he's also got Irish roots, and he's here for St. Patrick's Day tomorrow, and this is the St. Patrick's Day Eve, which we now celebrate on our show. And then when we come back, how does Steve Garvey feel about the pitch clock? How does he feel about the oversized bases uh, and some of the changes to the game with the shifts? We'll find out that and more. And also, what is it like in California? Could we have some good news? With all this rain, as challenging as it is, could it have actually ended the drought? Steve Garvey will let me know in a moment. Educating, entertaining, enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. A talk show that's real. 
This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, welcome back, everyone. Steve Garvey's here. Uh, he's excited, as you are, too, for St. Patrick's Day in New York City. Without a pandemic, it's exciting. And Steve Garvey has been selected to serve, another resume builder for him, and he's looking to build up that resume as the first Irish baseball ambassador by the Irish Baseball Society. And his goal, Steve, one of your many goals you'll likely achieve is get Ireland into the World Baseball Classic, right? That's right. And uh, we're making great strides right now. But it's a it's an across-the-pond type of thing. We need uh, support here in the United States. Uh, and then uh, we need uh, the Irish Baseball Organization to uh, work with yeah. us closely in developing, you know, new fields. We'll we'll bring in infrastructure and and uh, you guys and we'll got the grass, so nice. yeah, sort of. <laughs> that's what I'm doing here. But uh, ultimately, is the the big awareness will be eventually an MLB exhibition game in Ireland. Everybody wants it. We just need to get it together in the next couple of years. So that'll be great. And you get, are you staying for the parade tomorrow? Oh, yeah. Uh, the Irish American Baseball Society will be marching for the first time in the parade. And I've got my sash, you know. So wow. we're going to have a great time. Had a great gala last night. Uh, the Asian Order of uh, Hiberians put on a phenomenal dinner at the Sheraton. And, uh, and, and you know, it's, it's a chance to give back to your heritage. I've, I've taken youth teams to Russia, and I've been all over the world, Japan, uh, now it's a it, it's a chance to take my heritage, help develop baseball, which is so close to me, our national pastime, uh, and like we said before, you know the, the Italians and, and Irish have made up more baseball than just about any other nationality, uh, especially you're in Brooklyn uh, when you said That's you right. were doing your, <laughs> so your first right. baseball game. Yeah. But I will say this too: Mike Piazza went over to Italy, and he says it's really developing. So he's taking his heritage oh, and sure. going there helping out. Yeah. So I want to talk about some of the rule changes. Number one, the thing that's going to, and I haven't seen it yet. I haven't seen any exhibition games. Mm-hmm. The pitch clock. How do you feel about it? Yeah. Uh, you got to get in the box by eight seconds left, or it's going to be a strike. Uh, you got was it a minute ten to uh, to oh. to throw the pitch? Oh no, twenty uh, twenty seconds. Oh, it's twenty F- seconds. Fifteen if nobody's on. I All think. right. So how do you feel about that? Well, you know, back when when I was playing, as they say, uh, games lasted two fifteen, two twenty, two twenty two, and now it's over three minutes. Uh, I like pace in the game. As a hitter, I, I don't want the pitcher taking thirty seconds and throwing a pitch, and then taking another thirty seconds. I want to see. When I see the pace of the ball frequently, then I'm able to, to judge the timing of it. And the guys I've been most mad at are the batters who've been stepping out of the box, readjusting their gloves when they just took a pitch. It's one thing to take a big swing, get in the box. Right. You know, I mean, I couldn't wait for the pitcher to throw the ball. Probably should have walked a few more times in my career. Mike Schmidt said, you, you should have walked 500 more times. I said, I'd love to hit it. You know? Right, you want to swing. <laughs> so, so I couldn't wait for him to throw it. And all the kids that we've taught over the years in traveling teams, pitchers, if the the better pace you have, the better you're able to control the pace of your pitches and timing and mixing. Do you think it's going to help the game? I think it will help speed it up. Obviously, what the, about the, the tosses bases? to first, limiting the well, tosses? Now to that's first. going to be very interesting. It, some of these smart managers are going to going to find out a way to, you know, to work on this, work the system, so to speak. Um, bases bigger, okay. You know, let's see. Yeah. Uh, the thing is the shift. You know, I've always said the burden's on the defense. Uh, annually, the Rawlings Gold Glove Dinner is here in New York in November, and I get a chance to be a presenter. And I always say offense wins games, defense wins championships. So the shift uh, was a, a scheme that came up that actually did a pretty good job in, in taking away a lot of these dead pull hitters, averages, not necessarily home runs. So now they've gotten back. The players have to be on the dirt. They can't go past two guys on each side. Um, so, I mean, so be it. it. What it's going to do is increase the offense in the game. 
So Tommy Lasorda would say, when people go to the ballpark, they're not in a rush to go home. Why does everyone want to speed up the game? That's right. I've always said baseball is timeless. It's our national pastime. The reason we love it, it's a, it's a lot like life. Uh, it's, it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. Uh, you got to go out every day. That's you know, the thing about baseball, 162 games, 180 days. And you have to methodically win the game that day. So Steve Cohen, Steve Cohen came out. He's the owner of the job. Matt, who is now lift up on, uh, going to bring that team to prominence. He said, "Don't go, don't uh, the league should relax with me. I'm going to do what the Dodgers did. We're going to spend early, get contention, but we're going to be building up our farm team. So we're not going to need to get these players. The Dodgers have a formula that's working, right? Absolutely. But that went down in prior ownership before Guggenheim Partners stepped in." Uh, and our minor league system went down into, I think, above 25 out of 30 teams. Uh, we had a very little Pacific Rim office. So when Guggenheim came in, and to their credit, they invested in the future of the Dodgers by developing the minor league system and the Pacific Rim. And that's why you see over the years, by by picking key free agents, giving them contracts that you do, they're going to be there for five years, like a Mookie Betts and a Freeman and so forth. But with a minor league system that's probably six or eight kids that could step into the, the Dodger 26-man roster uh, and be competitive. So that's, that's how you, you get longevity along with consistency. What's going to take to make California uh, put California in play again and have a two-party system? rather than a moderate and a left-wing system. You see what's happening with these cities. I don't have to tell yeah. you about the homeless. You know what's going on with the, this this woke politics. You saw how horrendous they were during the pandemic. You lived it. Yeah. Well, I, I used to introduce President Reagan as campaign stops in California during the, the golden days of California and, uh, you know, hosted inaugural balls with uh, President Bush. And I remember, I've been there a little over 50 years, I remember when California dictated to the country a lot of things about how people should live in, in the growth and and the uh, and the common working families, how they could go to McDonald's maybe one more time. Will that come back again? It's going to come back. Uh, it's so progressive there that it's going to take somebody to step up uh, or a number of people to step up and run for offices who have common sense views, uh, who use reasonable intelligence uh, that tell people, you know, it really is about God, about lower taxes, about smaller government, and about the ability to to dream. And a lot of people aren't dreaming now. They don't have the money to dream. They, they're they suppressed in many they ways. They don't love the country. They don't love the country. And we've got to get back to, and I hate to say it, somebody says, Garv, you ought to run. And I said, well, I'd be running on, on the old uh, uh Baseball, apple pie, hot dogs, and, and Chevrolet, you know. Right. So, because we've got to get back to that because if we don't get back to that, people are going to get so lethargic right. and just accept. We can't accept that. In if you're in Ireland, Steve Garvey wants you playing baseball, pick up a mitt. Thanks, Steve. <laughs> Thank you. From the Fox News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest-growing radio talk show, Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. Senator Joni Ernst is going to be joining us. So great because not only from Iowa, everyone's going there, but also a fighter pilot. We know what happened with the drone. We'll discuss that. She's always been strong in defense from armed services. Right now, as we speak, uh, Secretary of Treasury Yellen is trying to explain to all of us, and she's getting some fire already from both sides, what's going on with our banking system. 
Uh, at the same time, we are following multiple stories as the White House fires back at the Republican House committee that went down to the border to talk to Border Patrol agents about what is exactly going on. They went to McCallum, Texas. We love McCallum. Great people there. Pieces of fence are sitting in the middle of that city. I saw it. They're just sitting there waiting to be put up. We paid for it, but for political reasons, they're not using it. That upset them, too. So we'll dis- we'll discuss all that. Follow the breaking news. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Sponsored by Crunch Fitness. Interested in owning your own business in a growing $30 billion industry? Check out Crunch Fitness at crunch.com. Number three. This hazardous episode is a part is part of a pattern of aggressive, ris- risky, and unsafe actions by Russian pilots in international airspace. That is the less than scintillating words of Lloyd Austin. Russia takes out our $50 million drone and our response is equally inadequate, fueling the anti-Ukrainian war attitude in our country. Austin, Millie, and Biden have one thing in common. They don't instill confidence in any mission, even if the mission is correct. Number two. Chief Ortiz, does DHS have operational control of our entire border? No, sir. Yes, and with those words, confirmation from Raul Ortiz, who is the U.S. Border Patrol chief, denying Biden Patrol chief bucks his boss and trumpets the border is not secure. Will this embarrass the Dems into sealing it? How many have to let? How many have to die? How many have to let in before America has said, "I'm fed up, shut it, shut it down." Number one. These banks are under tremendous stress right now. And if there's weaknesses at these banks, they're getting flushed out and exposed and deposits are leaving the system very quickly, causing these banks to be imperiled and then potentially creating the risk of the next cascading failure. And that is David Sachs, the PayPal founding COO, talking honestly to Tucker about our system. Can anyone figure this out? From inflation to bank failures, our economy's in peril and this administration is incapable of getting ahead of any crisis, especially one that affects all of us. And Janet Yellen, I don't know exactly what's going on. Senator Sherrod Brown talking to her now. You can get it on foxnews.com. But let's just take a look at the banking system and what, what really is happening. Regional banks are, are sucking wind. And how did it start? Well, uh, first off, the Dow paid a huge price. It went flat yesterday. Two days ago, lost about 500 points. Why? Yesterday, because of Credit Suisse. This emerged that there were billions uh, unsatisfied. And it turns out the Saudis say we're only going to have 10% of that bank. Credit Suisse is a comedy of errors. We're not going to deal with it. So on comes the central bank in Switzerland. They step up and give them $55 billion worth of loans. Still, the Dow dropped 280 points as the Swiss National Bank stepped up just to save that bank. But is, just, is this just a Band-Aid? Is it all about to come apart? I'm looking at some of the comments from the heavyweights. Carl Icahn says the system is broke, is breaking down. BlackRock CEO of La, um, Larry Fink, this is a slow-rolling crisis. But how slow? Is it just the Silicon Valley Bank? Is it just Signature Bank? Is it just Republic Bank? If it is, the regionals, are they just bad management? That's the key. Is it just because they can't handle the interest rate? In the case of Signature, is it just because they're heavily in crypto, which is having a lot of problems now? Well, it turns out federal investigations were already looking into Signature Bank. 
Bloomberg had unnamed sources says it's pretty clear what the investigation was about now. The FDIC was forced to take over operations of the bank because they were basically insolvent and irresponsible. Why? Because the, a lot of it are actions. It's not that it's out of control. It's actions. It's having a board of seven with only one banking experience. The Silicon Valley Bank, for example. You have the, the San Francisco Fed supposed to oversee these banks. Well, guess what? The CEO of the Silicon Valley Bank is also a member of the Fed in San Francisco. And for some reason, he didn't feel compelled at all to out his own bank and the people that are invested in it, which is all crypto innovation stocks and feel terrible for those people, people like Roku, people like Vice Media. They're all invested in for the average person. They're going to be satisfied even though the bank has collapsed, signature two. But what are we to do now? How do we fix it? You ask Elizabeth Warren, it's all the Fed's champ. You know, she's got a problem with the Fed. Fed uh, Fed, does, uh, Fed chairman, uh, Jay Powell. Okay, fine. That seems personal. Here's Josh Hawley. Cut four. They're tech businesses. I mean, so, I mean, let's be, they're not small businesses in the sense that, like mom and pop, these are tech startups owned and managed by billionaires. I don't have a whole lot of sympathy for these billionaires who want to have guarantees for over the Fed, the FDIC limit. They knew what the rules were. Now they want to bail out. We now know that Gavin Newsom was lobbying the Biden administration without disclosing his own personal interests in the bank. And what's happening? The Biden administration is bailing out this bank, and they're going to charge every American for it. And what Gavin Newsom is, he's got a whole bunch of money and wineries invested without disclosing the fact that the failed lender counts the California governor as a client. So, of course, he's praising the president of the United States for coming and bailing out the bank. I'm sure he's got to. You know, it's unbelievable that these people have no problem being dishonest, just thinking, all right, we're going to fix it. And, you know, we're going to pay the price. And I've got to tell you, I am not pretending to be able to figure it out. And I'm going to say something else. I don't feel bad about that because all these experts are contradicting each other, trying to get a hold of this, seeing how bad it's going to be. Does it remind you of 2008? Does it remind you of 89? What is going on? Is this just about the stock market? Is it the end of the regional bank? I had Mr. Wonderful here from Shark Tank. He was on today, and he said, we, we don't need regional banks. And then people wrote me and go, are you kidding? I want to know my bank where I want to walk in and say, hey, I'm looking to expand my business. I'm looking to buy the store instead of just leasing it. I want my banker to see and maybe give me advice. I don't want this J.P. Morgan Chase sending me my paperless statement and taking my money and, uh, and never meeting me. Here's Larry Kudlow. He's talking about this, this failure in San Francisco, and also what's going on in the big picture. I think Larry Kudlow always makes the most sense to me. Cut seven. Also bad, this is worse, the ongoing story of the absolute failure of Mary Daly's San Francisco Fed supervisors and examiners to step in on Silicon Valley Bank with their wild investment strategy and long-term bonds while interest rates were soaring or their mismatched asset liability risk-taking. I haven't seen a word about the failure of the responsibilities of the San Francisco Fed. They have supervisors, they have examiners, and they should have done their job because you know what? It wasn't just the last three weeks or the last three months. People knew about uh, Silicon Valley Bank's problems for at least a year and where was the San Francisco Fed. And I want to take some calls. I'm not going to have a guest until 45, so I have calls. So, so line up. I'm going to get to as many as I, I can. And I'm not going to sit here and tell you that, I, that I'm as smart as Larry Kudlow and David Sachs and Larry Fink 
They're flailing. They're offering their opinions, and they got all this. They got decades in high finance. So, and they don't know. But what I'm going to do is try to bring as many voices to the to the table to see where this is going to go. Because if we want to be strong everywhere, we have to be strong financially right here. So David Sachs, the guy you heard in the open, the PayPal founding CEO, was on with Tucker last night. I thought he was real good. Just talking about what is going on. As we look at the markets holding pretty steady today, we don't see any banks lining up to be taken out. We know uh, some staggering stats, too. Uh, when it comes to the First Republic Bank, drops 23% uh, in overall, and they uh, they downgraded to junk status. Wow. Here, here's David Sachs last night talking about what's going on with the U.S. banking system. Cut eight. There's a bunch of issues that were particular to Credit Suisse. They've had a series of scandals and compliance issues and exec changes over the past few years. But there is a common pattern here with what's happening in the U.S. banking system, which is these banks are under tremendous stress right now. And if there's weaknesses at these banks, they're getting flushed out and exposed and deposits are leaving the system very quickly, causing these banks to be imperiled and then potentially creating the risk of the next cascading failure because all these banks are sort of interlinked. And this is where you get sort of systemic risk. And that's what we're looking at. You know, we got the peril overseas. People don't want to give some support and weaponry, help prop up Ukraine's economy while they stand up to one of our top three enemies who's combining with the other two to try to be a dominant force, an evil force in this world. We can't turn away and say, well, my border's a mess. Wow. I don't love my, my regional banks just went under. As a country, we got to be able to have... Two tracks, foreign policy as it relates to domestic policy. I think it's in, it's in our interest. I'm going to come back and take uh, as many calls as possible, take a short time out. Uh, and then at 45 after, we'll talk a little Iowa. I'll talk 2024 too. Chris Christie, and I'm glad, is going to Iowa. If you m- met Chris Christie, and I know many people, especially WABC listeners in New Jersey, you know him. The guy is extremely knowledgeable, extremely smart, great mind, very experienced. Not afraid of Trump, an ally of Trump, sees what good he did, uh, sees where he's challenged. They're obviously at loggerheads now as of Mike Pence and him. But guess who's leading? Donald Trump. Guess who's been unbelievably disciplined? Donald Trump. Guess who's under attack? Ron DeSantis, while still getting a lot of support. A lot of confidence, a lot of talent on the on the right. I'm going to take a look at the left. And believe me, if there's if there was a Bill Clinton or Barack Obama, I would say it. But I'm not seeing any of it on the left, and I'm certainly not seeing it at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Want even more, Brian? Download the podcast at briankilmeadeshow.com. Every episode, exclusive interviews on demand. More of Kilmeade coming up. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, let's come back now. one 408 Also, I want to get to this. Kamala Harris went on Stephen Colbert last night. They're trying to rehab her image because he's been useless, terrible, awful. And and I guess they're trying to bolster her to destroy her. I don't know what they're trying to do. One thing or another, they're bringing her out there more. Because you have the president 3,000 miles away. In Las Vegas at some DNC event talking about guns and assault weapons, thankfully. That's not in the news. The banking system is. He won't take any questions. Uh, just sending out the pathetic Janet Yellen out there to try to uh, back up, which I think is a big intellect, but has not impressed me as a great policy person. Certainly not a great communicator. 
So you'll hear her uh, Stephen Colbert appearance. By the way, she was heckled as she walked into uh, to the old Letterman studio. Uh, let's go out to let's go out to Larry in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Hey, Larry. Hi. Good morning. Hey, I'll make this real quick here. Um, and I'm sorry if I talk over you because I can't hear you without my speakerphone being on. Uh, what irritated me, and I just saw it again on Fox News. Fox News in my home is on 20 out of 24 Thank hours. You. So I, I watch you all the time. But I just saw it here. They had the, the Democrat uh, Congress people that did not, that have been boycotting going to the uh, the border when McCarthy calls for a meeting, when we had this last meeting here, what was it, uh, Tuesday? or yesterday, and they boycotted. Doesn't McCarthy, have, would he not have the authority to say, look, I'm calling a meeting. It's mandatory. If you boycott whatever, unless you're in the hospital having brain surgery, of course, with the, with the, you know, it'd be useless if you got a Democrat in there. There's, they have nothing to work on. But the thing is, they go and uh, they don't show up. You, you document the H pay. They do it again. You, you sanction them. It should and, be. And go from there. Would that uh, yeah, that, that's a good point. I'm going to bring that up next time I have a congressman on, and I'll try to do my homework after the show and find out if you can do it. You know, I'm not sure you can. They have to show up. Instead, they ridicule and they say the Republicans are denying them the funding they need at the border. I, I defy you to prove anything like that. Now, what they're saying is, and with President Biden, which is a total lack of leadership, and Bush would never do stuff like this. I'm not sure if Clinton would, but Obama did this stuff all the time, would take one lawmaker who says something and say, that's the policy of the Democratic Party or the Republican Party. And here, here's, for example, if Republicans were coming out saying all Democrats wanted to fund the police, that would be wrong. If they want to say there are Democrats saying to fund the police every day, that's Cory Bush. That's 100 percent right. That's AOC. That's 100 percent right. That's almost the whole squad. But I don't think the squad speaks for all Democrats. I don't because I'm not an idiot. I, I don't want to waste your time and say Democrats wanted to fund the police. Not all of them do. It's the stupidest thing I ever heard. James Clyburn says it. Everybody says it. But these these ideologues who just hate law enforcement, most of which the squad members do it. So Matt Gates at CPAC comes out and says to fund the FBI. One of the dumbest things I've ever heard. You want to reform the FBI? Yes, but we absolutely need them. Do you want to have them focus on the mob again? Maybe uh, maybe go back into their lane? No more social media monitoring? I'm all for that. Defunding them? Not good. So the president saying they wanted to fund the law enforcement to fund the border. There's no Republicans who wanted to fund the border. They can't believe what's happening. Brandon in Midland, Texas, KCRS, Brandon. Yes, what's on your mind? Uh, well, I was just asking about as far as these two banks, SVB and as well as Signature, being publicly traded, um, could this potentially cause their investors to pull out and cause the stock price to, to drop? And then can they come back from this insolvency? Yeah, I think it's going to be a case-by-case basis. I, right now, uh, I don't know who's saving Silicon Bank. Uh, Silicon Valley Bank. I don't know who's saving Signature. I think they're basically picking. People are picking over the bones. They would in the perfect world, the way I understand it. Listening to the Sunday shows. Now it's you know now it's for Thursday. My goodness, what is this week on? Is that they want a bigger bank to buy them? In the big picture, I'm not thrilled with that. I don't want the whole country run by four banks, but they would be looking for somebody to try to save them. 
in, in perfectly. Let's go out to William listening on WTRC in South Bend. Hey, William. Hey, Brian, thanks for taking my call. You know, you made a good point just a moment ago, and, and it's going to tie into what I have to say as well. Um, how ridiculous. I mean, what a disgraceful response that wasn't very professional of them. Um, and I'm talking about the drone. I don't care if you're Republican or Democrat. I would think that you'd be able to look at what's happening to this country and consider the fact that the safety of this country is in great jeopardy with China doing its thing at will, with Russia doing its thing at will. And there's no response from the from the U.S. government to do anything about it to stop this. They have no response respect for us. They're not in any way concerned about what we may do. Uh, there's no repercussions that they have to be concerned with. And then when I look at the, the other thing, as far as in Mexico, Mexico says, you know what, nobody rules us but us. When you look at the border, this guy that was on yesterday, or that was on the, the news, oh, um, yeah, saying about the, as far as the borders not contained, you know what? He could have done something a year ago, and really he could have said the exact same thing a year ago. For whatever reason, now he's saying this. But I think that his life there is short-lived. When I say his life, I meaning know. I hear the he's going to be gone. And you know what I think? I'm going to go one further. The reason why Democrats didn't show up when they originally intended to, his word came out that this guy was going to say what he said. And they, can't, they don't want to have 10 guys sitting there, 10 people sitting there, hearing that Mayorkas lied, the president's in denial. So when you come out and you're you're Raul Ortiz, Ortiz, and you come out and say what you said, you can't really dispute it. He's in uniform. He's there every day. And you can't pretend that he's he's a political hack because he's not, because of things you just said. A year ago, he was just going with what Mayorkas said. But now it is so bad. His guys are so overwhelmed that he has to say what he's saying. Four people get kidnapped, two get killed going over the border. Of course, it's not secure. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. You're kind of describing how, how how the goalpost has been moved because of the mass waves of people that are coming. My question, you heard the secretary. He said we have operational control. That's the definition ba- of operational control. Based upon the control. definition you have, sir, up there, no. We don't have operational control. No, sir. And that, and that's what we were just talking about now on the show. Uh, we're just talking about uh, Raul, Raul Ortiz in McCallum, Texas, yesterday, doubling down on the lack of operational control. And I don't care if these guys are, are and women are, are Republican or Democrat. At least they're getting attention from Republicans. And you can't say it's just because of one incident because it might be politically advantageous because this. If you look at what happened in 2022, if people ask me all the time, how do I think the election's going to go? And I said, I don't know for sure. But I would say the average American, especially that lives in these border cities that, or in these other cities with people, illegals being dropped off, have to say this clearly was better under the previous administration under the Republican Party at the border. It wasn't perfect, but they were trying. And now with Democrats, they are being ignored. The president's made one visit to the border in 50 years. So at least they show up and ask, what do you need? And you can vote whatever we want. What do you need? And Democrats came back today and said this was always a big show. They don't believe it was a big show. Something happened there. It's Congressman uh, Dale Strong of Alabama. He was there yesterday. Cut 21. 
They're coming from Mexico. They're coming from Guatemala, El Salvador, Ecuador, Colombia, Cuba, Haiti, Iran, and they're coming from China, too. Our country is under attack. America is being invaded. No American is safe. This invasion is not a Democratic issue. It is not a Republican issue. It is an American issue. Thank you. Senator Kelly's going to be on with Brett Baer tonight. I look forward to hearing what he has to say. Because if he says anything except for the border is broken and we have to fix it and he can do it and he has a president here, he's a total political animal and a waste of time. Because so far, he's been, to me, the epic disappointment. I thought he would be similar to Mike Waltz. That's how naive I am. Because with the military background and knowing he's so pro-American, knowing how smart he is because he's an astronaut's got to be almost an engineer himself, a genius. I, I just can't believe he's invisible, doesn't do anything, didn't deserve six more years. Uh, Hank, listen, WNIS in Virginia Beach. Hey, Hank. How you doing, Brian? Great. What's on your mind? Hey, happy St. Patty's Day. Soon, tomorrow. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. It's come real Irish. And nobody was upset with Biden saying, uh, I may be Irish, but I'm not stupid. What right. kind of statement <laughs> is that? <laughs> that? That was unbelievable, right? It's okay to insult That's the Irish. Yeah. And Steve, Steve Garvey, Mr. Forearms, was just on your show. I wanted to ask him that. Listen, he, I, I couldn't believe in the break how political he was. I tried to keep athletes out of it, and I, I realized how active he was. They thought he was going to run for president eventually. Man, he was a stud. I mean, I used to – I grew up watching him. He used to jack the ball, but all you could see, he had Popeye forearms. He was a monster. And he told me he earned it. He said that right away he realized uh, all the power came from uh, eight to, uh, six to 18 inches, and the quickness could come from strength. And he get that strength from working out. He was telling us too, ah oh man, I can't. I can never remember what's on the air and what's not. But he says he went into the Dodgers and said, guys, we got to get Nautilus equipment. We have to get stronger. And he said, I've been using it on my own. Can we bring it in here? And the Dodgers said, yeah, we'll try this thing called lifting and fitness. So you're talking about the 1970s. Uh, okay, uh, Hank, real quick, what's on your mind though? Yeah, that was. But you know the, the the old adage, "Kiss, keep it simple, stupid." Yep. I mean, we're all talking about the border and all this. I mean, they're doing it purposely. I mean, it's it's obviously they're doing it purposely. Let's go back and forth. Why they're doing it? They want to a whole new underclass of people to vote, give them money, and then eventually they'll vote Democratic. It's so obvious. The other thing with Lindsey Graham, you know, he's right. The problem with uh, that is Joe Biden is a day late and a dollar short with everything. I know. He's got a problem, and, and what do they do? They sit around and wait and wait and wait. Do you remember when he said, oh, it depends if it's a full-blown invasion or a minor incursion? What's the difference? It's like your daughter gets a little pregnant. Thanks. I just don't understand their thinking. I know, Hank. It's weird. It's not even worthy of debate because it's so idiotic. Alex in Brooklyn. Hey, Alex. Hey, good morning, Brian. Thanks for taking the poll. No problem. Um, you were actually talking about borders. I just wanted to comment about that. Um Democratic voters really care about something that doesn't only affect border cities and states. It's the cocaine and the fentanyl that's coming across. So if we can focus on that, that would really convince them because that's the biggest issue, I think, about this border. Not just giving them money. It's our lives that are at stake with these people coming so across. So focus more on the but fentanyl. Be, focus more on the drugs. Yep, and that hits the suburbs. Here's the other thing. Yes, and here's the other thing. We're fighting a war with with Russia for Ukraine's benefit. Now, before we do that, we got to fight a war with the cartels because you, uh, 
But and now we're talking about spring break, and people are saying that it's dangerous to go there because the cartels are taking over Mexico. Why are they able to do that? Because of all the money they're making from getting people across our border illegally, and it's just going to take a couple of more years before they're going to take over the entire government of Mexico. I think it's really going to happen very soon, and it's because we're empowering them. We need to fight them because they're going to be our neighboring country. The cartels are. They're going to be governing a country that's neighboring with us, and it's going to be really bad. Right. Uh, but we can't get them to put up the wall, let alone take on the cartels in another country. But uh, they, you listen to William Barr, you read his book. They were about to do it. They stopped, they stopped making progress the day they lost the election. And this administration has no interest in it. They don't even stick up for us when the Mexican president calls our society decadent. They don't even say that our problem, that there is no fentanyl in Mexico. You have to have sitting senators come out and go to fight fight for us against the Russian barrage, against the Chinese rhetoric, and against the Mexican uh, the Mexican retorts. It's, it's unbelievable. Listen, when we come back, I'm going to welcome in Senator Joni Ernst. I want to talk a little bit about 2024. Everybody wants her endorsement on the Republican side. Also, as a fighter pilot, she'll make heads or tails about what Russia said, what they're claiming, and what the video shows that's been released from the drone before it went to the bottom of the Black Sea. Brian Kilmeade Show. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Here at first on the Brian Kilmeade Show. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. We do have allies and friends in the region. Uh, we don't have any uh, naval surface vessels uh, in the Black Sea at this time. Uh, and we'll work up options. But as I said at the outset, this is uh, probably about four or 5,000 feet of water. Uh, and it probably, don't know for certain yet, it'll be days before we uh, have uh, actual facts on the, on the impact and what debris is there, probably sank. Uh, uh, to some significant depths. Uh, so any recovery operation from a techno standpoint would be very difficult. And that, of course, uh, with the Russians are up against. They're uh, desperately trying to get our drone that they knocked out of the sky, inadvertently or not. It looks inadvertent. But it's the second fighter jet that they had that was buzzing our Predator drone that was in international skies over international waters. Uh, fighter pilot herself, Joni Ernst, joins us now. Member of the Armed Services Committee, Senator from, uh, from uh, Iowa, Ranking member of the Small Business Committee, chairman of the Republican Policy Committee. A lot on your plate, Senator. Of course, everybody's going to be visiting Iowa. I think you're going to end up with about eight legitimate Republicans trying for that nomination. So you're going to be a sought-after endorsement. But first, on what Mark Milley said, how important is it, do you think, for the Russians to get, for their perspective, to get our drone? Well, I think it's very important uh, that the Russians try and recover that from their perspective. Um, however, I'm praying that they they don't, and it will be a very tough uh, operation for them to uh, really undertake. Just a quick correction, though. I served in the Army. Um, I was not a fighter pilot, but uh, but I do appreciate, you know, our servicemen and women and everything that they are attempting to do out there. Um, those that are operating these drones, you know, it takes significant significant uh, skill and ability to do that. Uh, obviously, we don't know whether this was intentional or inadvertent, but it was an extremely aggressive action 
action on the part of the Russians. Um, so I agree with Senator Cotton. I mean, we should put a drone right back up in the air. Let's get right back out there and let's put the pressure up against Russia. You saw the video. What is your uh, what is your take of the video? Well, again, if uh, it was sloppy uh, piloting by the Russians, then it just shows what we're up against. They're very sloppy and unskilled, but it was very aggressive. Um, So I don't like to see that level of uh, aggression coming from any of our adversaries. But you know what? It's probably this administration's own fault because they have not Uh, stood up, pressed back against Russia. They haven't pushed back against China or Iran, any of our adversaries. Uh, We have entered into an administration where they just simply roll over any time our adversaries are showing aggression against us. And that is where we should not be. America needs to lead. And I believe in peace through strength. And right now we're not showing strength, so we are not seeing peace. And, and the thing is, people want to avoid a world war. To me, to avoid a world war is is to show strength everywhere. Then you don't have to fight. And we're going to have to Absolutely. put more money into defense. I know at a time in which we're trying to straighten out our banking system, but there should be no – there should be a streamlining of the process. There should be a way to effectively spend. But 3 percent of our budget's not going to do it with the threats that we have right now. Absolutely, Brian, and and I agree. Um, You know, the reason that our federal government was established, at least one of the primary reasons, was to have a, a common national defense for our state. National defense, folks, that's what we should be focused on and making sure that our citizens are safe, whether that is from the southern border or aggression coming from China or Russia. We need to provide safety and security for the people here in the United States. And when you you cannot separate um, the what's going on around the globe from our safety here at home. If you have an aggressive Russia, you have a China, and they're spreading influence all around us, we have to push back. So where do you stand? You know Ron DeSantis says this is a regional conflict we should not be involved with. President Trump feels basically the same way. Um, Vivek Ramaswamy, also running for president, extremely bright guy. And listen to Douglas McGregor, lieutenant colonel, was on with Tucker last night, cut 30. Well, it's unaffordable. It's unaffordable against Russia. You don't have to lump China with the, with the rest of them. It's impossible. We are on the road to bankruptcy. The American people sense it. The bank uh, bailouts are not going to happen as they did before. Uh, you know, the best thing I can think of is to say that Lindsey Graham and his peers in Washington, they're not channeling Ronald Reagan. They're channeling the Three Stooges. So, and he goes on. What are your thoughts? Is this something that Reagan wouldn't be a part of? Well, I think there are a lot of concerns out there, and many of them are valid. But there is uh, being presented to the American people a false choice in this, that uh, we we either engage in Ukraine or we engage on the southern border, for example. No, that's a false choice. Um, I would say that this administration has devoted a lot of, of dollars to things that we don't need to be doing. I would reference the so-called Inflation Reduction Act. 
at a cost of trillions of dollars to the American taxpayer. Um, so we must invest in our military defense. I think we need to be strong. I think Ronald Reagan would have pushed back against the Russians, especially at a time when we're not engaging American men and women in uniform. What we're doing is providing the platforms for the Ukrainians to fight yeah. an evil force that's pushing against their sovereignty. And, and Senator, there's no doubt about it. Think about this. As much controversy as it caused, he armed the Contras when Nicaragua went communist. Think about what he was doing with Afghanistan when Russia invaded Many people think it was a bad move. I don't. Uh, the Russians are going to take over that country. He, made, he fueled the insurgency in there. Irresponsibly, we just left uh, and left a lot of these terrorists with these weapons, but it forced the Russians out and caused the collapse of the Soviet Union. Remember, we put nuclear weapons into uh, Western Europe to stop the invasion from Eastern Europe. So to think that he would not see Ukraine as a problem, I don't think is to effectively read his biography. Yes, and I think overall, if you look around the globe at all of the threats that exist out there with our near-peer adversaries, I think it's a bit naive to think that we, if we just pull out of everywhere, we don't have troops anywhere around the globe, we don't engage with our State Department, if we just stay here in the United States and ignore the rest of the world, it is naive to think that we will not be the next country that would be uh, invaded or pushed upon by Russia, Iran, and China. It is naive to think that there is going to be peace around us if only we don't engage. Uh, I think that's a very naive attitude. I understand that you're celebrating Sunshine Week by awarding the monthly Squeal Award to President Biden. Could you expand on that? I sure can, Brian. So I do a monthly squeal award, and this month's award goes to President Biden. It is Sunshine Week, and yet President Biden has kept our taxpayers in the dark uh, because certainly you can't eliminate what you can't see. So his new budget is it's absolutely unaffordable and out of touch, and that's why I'm shining a light on uh, Washington, D.C. spending. I have an act that will put a price tag on every project paid for with your tax dollars, and we need to show the American citizens where it's being spent, how it's being spent, and why it's important that it's being spent. And I would say a lot of what the Biden administration is doing we don't need to be spending on. Um, so I'll just give you an example. The USDA paid to train pigs to play video games using their snouts. I'm sorry, I don't think the American taxpayer should be spending money on that. Um, so when we talk about whether we're investing in national security or, you know, investing in projects like this, I'm going to put my money on right. national security every day. We want to find out what's going on in the economy and banking. We know Janet Yellen's testifying today. We're, we're trying to monitor the best we can while doing the show. But David Sachs, the PayPal founder, was on last night. This is what he said he thinks is happening with the economy. Cut 11. Yellen and Powell and Biden all said that this is transitory so they could keep spending more money. And the Fed kept printing and QE continued for another six months. I would posit that six months really created the bubble of 2021. The markets got super frothy. That's when tons of sort of hot deposits went into uh, SVB and and other banks. And it really it took the whole it took the risk to another level. I mean, in other words, these guys ran the economy at 150 miles an hour and then they slammed on the brakes. Right. And what you're seeing now is the resulting car crash. And the only thing we don't know is whether this is a two-car crash or a 20-car pileup on the highway. How do you feel about his analysis? 
Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it's it's like talking about, you know, a pileup uh, out there on the roadways. Uh, this was a pileup. And the problem is, I think we had regulators and managers, bank managers, that were asleep at the wheel. And that caused that pileup. Um, you know, the Biden administration is busy pointing fingers at everybody else. They need to take a hard look at the people that are in charge. And why did this happen? It wasn't because there weren't regulations out there. It's that their regulators were not following the regulations or doing the necessary stress testing with these organizations, these banks. Um, so they need to look a little inward and determine what happened, why it happened. I think so often we see these banks, uh, banks like the SVB, that were very focused right. on, on wokeism and ESG and things like that, that they, they really didn't pay attention. And it hurts uh, the country to, and it hurts a banking, banking system business. and it stops everything. If the economy's not going well, we can't do anything. Senator Joni Ernst, thanks so much. Always great. Thanks, Brian. All right. It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.